Thank you, Kent and Barbara, and welcome to our evening service tonight. We have been in the book of Ecclesiastes, or just started our study in this book. So if you can find your way back to Ecclesiastes, and we're in chapter 1, we'll finish this uh, chapter, 12 through 18, tonight. In this book of Ecclesiastes, the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, who gave us the book of Proverbs, is now warning us that wisdom, success, abundance, and things like that that we have in this life is really vanity and vexation of spirit without the Lord in your life. If that's all you have in your life, it's, it's truly an empty life. So, you know, I, as I was thinking about that thought, this is easy to find. I, I just searched real quick for the richest men uh, in the world right now, <laughs> and there are, there are a hundred lists of these kinds. But here are a few names. You know, as you, as you say these, think to yourself, would I trade places with these kinds of people in the world today? You know who the richest man in the world is right now? Elon Musk, worth a measly $204 billion. Everyone on these lists down through the first, I don't know, 20 or 30. It's in the billions. It's not just the millions. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Charles Koch, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, Bernard Arnault, Michael Bloomberg, and here's an interesting, I, I bet you didn't know he was on the list, Vladimir Putin is worth $70 billion. So there you go, get in a position like that and, and you've got it made. But would you, would you trade places with any of those men like that? I, I really believe I would say I would not. And why not? Happiness, meaning to life, and if not that, eternity. Remember it was Paul that said to Timothy, uh, we brought nothing into this world and what? And be sure you're not taking anything out. Paul admonished us to pray for the leaders in our country, that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. If you have that, let me tell you, in this world, you have great riches. Well, let's read from verse 12 through verse 18. Again, Solomon will say, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Kind of a, a second salutation. Verse 13. And I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This is a grievous task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. And indeed, he says, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Now, there are two proverbs given here. The first one in verse 15 what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. Then in verse 16, I communed with my heart saying, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart was un has understood great wisdom and knowledge. And then he says, I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is grasping for the wind. And another proverb, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. 
you know, in that verse 12, he, he said again, he's the preacher, he's the speaker of the assembly, he's the ecclesiastes, and so this is his job to say these things and speak these things, and he was king, meaning he, he has authority. When he speaks, people have to listen. He has a place and a time and a pulpit, you might say, uh, to speak, and he speaks to Israel, a religious people. And so it's not just to the pagans. He gets to speak to, to uh, those who know God and, and should know uh, their way to God. And then lastly, he says he does this in Jerusalem. So not only is Israel unique among all the nations, but Jerusalem is unique among all the cities in Israel. Uh, as a matter of fact, Moses, when he uh, uh, gave us Deuteronomy and he was charging the people as they go into the land. He said to the leaders, therefore be careful to observe them for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And so here is Solomon speaking to people like that. And we should pretty much think that we, we speak to modern people and educated people, and even in America, uh, people that have a Christian background anyway. But Solomon's words are really telling, whether we true, have true happiness or not. So look at how I've divided this, obviously, into two parts, because 13, 14 end with a proverb in verse 15, and then you have 16 and 17, and they end in a proverb in uh, verse 18. So I have it like this. Solomon sought out wisdom, and then Solomon tried to apply this wisdom. So first of all, he looks for this wisdom in God's creation. So he says in verse 13, I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. There's a personal application here. And that is, he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to seek out wisdom. I'm going to try to find out the meaning to things. And he was the one to do it. Uh, you remember these kinds of words. Here are some words from 1 Kings chapter 4 when he was the king in Israel. It says he spoke of Solomon. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005 also, he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So when he applied himself, uh, it was amazing that he did. And for a man in that age, we're talking 1,000 B.C. after all, for a man that lived in that age with the limited access, according to us today, limited access to knowledge all over the world, uh, he was really amazing. And, and you see here extended research, everything under heaven. He was interested. He had an inquisitive mind. He wanted to know uh, right down to, what did it say, the hyssop that springs out of the wall? I want to know what that mold on the wall is about. I want to know what that little weed is about. I mean, everything this man was interested in and sought to know. But he says in the middle of verse 13, this is a grievous task 
that God has given to the sons of man. Literally, you know, in that language, the word man is the word Adam. The sons of Adam. And we're all sons of Adam. And God has given us a task to live in his world and to search out things and find out what the real meaning of life is. So a real difficult task here. But he reminds us that it's a God-given task when he says God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. It was Matthew Henry that said of that statement, this he did, not merely to gratify his own genius, but to qualify himself to the service of God and to his generation. So even though we live in a world that doesn't seem to know God and think of God much, God has given us the same kind of task, to know things in our time, to know our generation, and be able to speak uh, in his name. You know, in Genesis, you have Adam and Eve, of course, that were created and, and given uh, the garden to tend to, and that garden was huge, and really, they were the kings of the whole earth, the king and queen of the whole earth, and they could do it well. But when they fell into sin, that job became difficult. And so even her job of having children is difficult. And his job of tending the ground and the garden, he's going to do in the sweat of his brow, right? Well, guess what? Studies the same way. As a matter of fact, he will say in the last chapter of this book, uh, be admonished of making books there is no end and much study is a weirdness to the flesh. And so even to do what Solomon's doing is by the sweat of his brow. To think that we look at God's world and God's creation and try to find out things. I want to do this with you a few times tonight. Go back to the book of Job, chapter 38, and I, I want to turn back and read a few passages with you tonight. So we're thinking about God's world and thinking about the way he created it and what we should know well, in chapters 38, 39, and 40, God answers Job. And these words are pretty amazing. I'd like to read all three chapters, but I won't do that. But just first of all, the first seven chapters of thir uh, verses, I mean, of 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I hope you take time later to read the rest of the chapter, but go over to chapter 39 and look at the first four verses there. Do you know the time when the wild mountain goats bear young? Or can you mark the deer which get when he gives birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Or do you know the time when they bear young? They bow down. They bring forth their young, they deliver their offspring, their young ones are healthy, they grow strong in grain, they depart and do not return to them. And he goes on talking about the wild animals even more. Go to chapter 40. 
And skip to verse 6 with me in chapter 40. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like His? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor, and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then, if you can do that, then I will confess to you that your own right hand can save you. But, of course, the answer is no, it can't. We could read all, th all through these chapters and realize that when we look at God's creation, we better come to him first. And we better go to him and say, Lord, you did this. You created these things. You hold the wisdom to this world. I don't. And so when Solomon, back in our text, searches out these things that God has made, uh, he, has, he has to go back to old Job, and Job has to go to God and listen to God say, this is, this is the way things are, Job. You need to know this. Now, in verse 14 of, of our text, Ecclesiastes 1, verse 14, I, I have the word industry here because it seems to me that he says, then all the works that are done under the sun, I, I look to see what man is capable of doing and what he has done. And I notice these few things. There's more uh, extensive, I mean, research here. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun. That phrase, remember, we found out is used multiple times in this book, everything under God's sun. So I look to see what human beings are doing, what they can accomplish. And when you think about it, it's, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, uh, not only did Noah build that ark when God told him to, but later... Uh, those backslidden people built the Tower of Babel, and even God said, well, we're going to have to disperse them because there's no telling what they can do with their own hands. Man can do quite a lot, but notice what he says. I, I looked at all the works that are done under the sun. Indeed, all is vanity and a grasping for the wind. Their work, their knowledge, their gain by itself is vanity. Grasping for the wind. Have you, have you ever done that? Let's see. What did I get? Not much. You know, remember when you were a kid and we had to travel around with the windows rolled down because the only, only air conditioning we had, and you'd, you'd stick your hand outside as, as you're going along and go like this in the wind, you know, up and down, kind of grabbing the wind. But what does he mean when he says this? You'll get nothing. When you kind of grasp the wind... There's nothing there for you to grasp. That's kind of what it is for man and all of his industry to try to gain all he's gained. And I read that list of people worth billions upon billions of dollars. What have they got when it's all done? A handful of wind when it comes to happiness and purpose and to stand before their creator someday uh, and uh, hear whether, uh, what their eternal destiny is going to be. You know, Solomon wrote Proverbs too. So Solomon, you remember this? 2514, 
Whoso boasteth himself of a false gift is like clouds and wind without rain. Wind to no purpose. Uh, they're just floating around up there and they don't do you any good. You remember that, don't you, Solomon? I think he does. And so what kind of grasping of wind do we have? Social, political, psychological, agricultural, educational, recreational, technological. And is there happiness in that without a purpose in God? There really is not. I also searched real quick for this number. I was curious how many suicides were in the United States of America just in one year in 2023. What would you guess? The answer is 50,000. 50,000 people in our country where we have prosperity, where you know, you're able to do things. 50,000 people took their own life because their life they felt like was meaningless, uh, even in this prosperous country that we have. Now, hold your place there, and let's go back to, to Solomon's father, David, in Psalm 19. And uh, remember uh, these great verses, you will, as soon as we start reading them. Psalm 19 and just 11 verses, quite a few, but let's read these together when we think about what is made and what the purpose is. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run the race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. There is nothing hid from its heat. All right, when we look at the whole world and we look at what people are doing, What's the conclusion? Look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And these two wonderful verses, more to be desired are they than gold, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Isn't that a contrast to what Solomon was looking at when he, when he looked around the world and he said, uh, this is all vanity without that kind of a, uh, a, a view of life and of the world. So from God's creation, from man's industry, but he comes to a proverb that uh, no doubt he had a bunch of them since, since uh, we found out that he had how many was that? Three. He wrote 3,000 proverbs. So he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight. What is lacking cannot be numbered. In chapter 7 and uh, verse 13, he will say, Consider the work of God, for he can make straight what, uh, for who can make straight what he has made crooked. If God has made it this way, you're not going to change it. Job, again, in chapter 12, 13, and 14 said, With him is wisdom and strength. 
He hath counsel and understanding. Behold, he breaketh down, and it cannot be built again. He shutteth up a man, and there can be no opening. Whatever God made crooked, you cannot make straight, and whatever uh, is lacking, you can't number. You know what I, uh, what passage I thought of, and it's a passage that people call the hogs and the dogs. And it's back there in, in 2 Peter chapter 2. Remember this, as it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is returned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You know why? Because you can't change a pig. <laughs> you, you can dress that pig up. You can wash her off. You can, you can uh, ma you know, put a bow tie on her if you want. And as soon as you turn her loose, where is she going? Back to that mud again. What's that dog going to do? You're not going to change what a dog is. And so that is the nature of this world. That's the nature of human beings. And where does man go without God? Where, where do, what do we work for in this world without a view of God? That kind of thing. We'll just go back to the same. But let me ask you this. Can, can, you live, can you live then in such a world? Well, the question is, yes. As a matter of fact, you have to. <laughs> you, uh, you have to till you go out of this world. That's the kind of world we live in. And can you change it? Well, there's a yes and a no there. No, you can't change human nature and you can't change God's nature and the nature of this world these are things that God is that he has created that he's put into this world you can't change those but there's something that can change in you and that's why the Bible calls it regeneration you can be born again you can start anew you can come to a place in your life where that old nature is countered by a new nature you never had before. And that renew, that new birth, that regeneration changes you rather than the world around you. It changes you. And when you are changed, your world begins around you in your own life, in your own house, in your own home, in your own work, whatever you do, that's how the world can be changed and the only way it, it can be changed. You can start from the inside out and God can make a new creature out of you. That is good news. That's a wonderful thing. So Solomon sought out wisdom that way. Well, secondly, he tried, I, I just say, applied wisdom because we have now two verses that are similar but a little bit different in 16 through 18. So first of all, from man's heart, and then secondly, from his folly. So notice that verse 16 has quotation marks in it. So he says, I communed with my heart saying, and then he gives us basically his own words. We could call it a soliloquy. You know, that's, that's a, a, a speech that you give to yourself. <laughs> you know, when, when you say, the Lord is the portion of my soul saith my soul. This is what my soul says to me. This is what I say to my soul. He's kind of saying that. So he says in verse 16, look, I have attained greatness and have gained more wisdom than all who were before me in Jerusalem. My heart was under, has understood great wisdom and knowledge. End of quotation. Man's 
uh, or, or excuse me, he, he says of himself, he became great, and we've read it. There was no one greater than this. As a matter of fact, that's what the Lord himself, I'm going to quote that verse in a minute, said. And he, he's more wise than all that has come before him, he says. Adam was pretty wise, even after he fell. Job was pretty wise. Noah was, was wise. Abraham was wise. And Solomon admits, I've become more wise than all. I, God has, has let me be wise. You remember when God says, well, Solomon, you ask whatever you want to ask, right? And I'll give it to you. And what did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Just let, give me the wisdom to rule your people and to go in and out among them. And God did. And Solomon knew that he did. But in all of that, he had more knowledge, but where does it get you? Let me quote him again in Psalm, or I mean Proverbs uh, 2, 10 and 11. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, Solomon said, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you, if you will simply do these things. Let me read you that passage in, uh, uh, in uh, Matthew 12, 42. The queen of the south, will rise up in judgment against this generation, that is, the Jewish people in the time of Christ. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And then he says, a greater than Solomon is here. No matter how great Solomon was, there's somebody greater than Solomon. No matter how wise he was, there's somebody greater than that. And who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ himself, of course. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him is life, and the life is the light of men. This is the one that we come to in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and should come to. Can I have you turn one more time? Let's go to Psalm 90, and actually when we do this, we're going to Moses, the words of Moses. His name is on this psalm, Psalm 90. I love this psalm, uh, but it's the only one that has his name on it. Let me just read a few verses. This is the psalm where Moses says a thousand uh, years is as one day with the Lord. But verse 7 of Psalm 90 says, We have been consumed by your anger. I'll just stop and say, a thousand years is as a day to the Lord, but you and I are consumed by his anger. Our life is cut short. By your wrath we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins and the light of your countenance. All our days are passed away in your wrath. We spend or finish our years like a sigh, like a tale that is told you might have. The days of our lives are 70 years, threescore year and ten. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, fourscore, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. I like that expression. Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. Let's, let's read on a little bit farther. So notice this, folks. First of all, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Do you number your days? Do you realize that God has only given you a short time to live on this earth? You'll live for eternity. 
And as a believer, you'll live for eternity in heaven with the Lord, but you never can come back to these years. This is all you have. And for most of it, most of us, I mean, most of it's gone. And just a short time ahead of us. Teach us to number our days. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. I think he means by that, Father, come back to me and forgive me for my foolish times. Forgive me for my wasted years and have compassion and, and put me back to service again. Oh, he says, verse 14, satisfy us early with your mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. There, there's a prayer for your children and your grandchildren. Let them be satisfied early in their lives with the mercy of God. Let them come to it quickly in their life and use all of their life for God's service. Verse 15, make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us and the years in which you have seen evil. Give us equal time to serve you. Verse 16, let your work appear to your servants and your glory to their children. Well, Lord, let, let me finish my course, let me finish my race and through me, may my children see your glory. That's a good prayer for yourself. And then verse 17, let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We only have this life to do it. So back to our text in verse 16, he tried to apply this wisdom to his own heart as he speaks to himself and to his heart. That's what Moses does there in Psalm 90. Then, verse 17, he applies wisdom from man's folly even. Interesting. Verse 17, I set my heart to know wisdom and madness and folly. <laughs> and I perceive that even this is grasping for the wind in the same way. Someone said, wisdom is not too far from folly. <laughs> that one can follow quickly after another. I wanted to know wisdom, and I found out madness and folly. Skip ahead in, in Ecclesiastes to chapter 2 in the first three verses. Talk about folly. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with myrrh. Therefore, enjoy pleasure. But surely this is also vanity. I said of laughter. It is madness and of myrrh. What does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what it was good for uh, for the sons of men to do under the heaven all the days of their lives. Again, wisdom isn't too far from folly almost a terrible thing to do, a dangerous thing to do. The wisest man that ever lived thought, well, I can, I can, I, I can go into the, the life of folly and find out wisdom there. Uh, he thought he's going to say, what did he say? As a matter of fact, verse 17, this also is grasping of wind. Well, let me, let me sow my wild oats a little bit. Let me, you know, give me my heritage and let me go off and find the pig pen somewhere. That's what, you know, we want to do young, uh, while we're young in life. It'll end in folly. Again, grasping after the wind, he says. We've already had that. 
Solomon himself said in Proverbs 30, verse 4, about, about that. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if you can tell? Only God and only the Son of God can, do, can find wisdom in those kinds of things. So how do you really know anything? You know it from a faithful creator. One other time, I want you to go to Proverbs 4 with me. So you keep going back to your left, right, to uh, the wisdom literature. Proverbs 4, and there's a great expression at the end of this chapter. Right at the end, verse 23, since he's speaking about speaking to his own heart, here are some admonitions for us, folks. Keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it are the issues of life. Not out of your pocketbook, not, not out of your feelings, not out of your emotions. It's out of your heart is, are the issues of life, the important things of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Watch your mouth. Watch what comes out of your mouth. Verse 25, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids right before you. Watch your eyes. Watch what they look at. And verse 26, so ponder the path of your feet. Let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left and remove your foot from evil. One of my granddaughters has, has said, uh, verse 23 is her favorite verse in the Bible. Keep your heart with all diligence. Out of it springs the issues of life. What a great admonition that is. So Solomon says, I, I looked even to folly and madness to see if there was any wisdom in it. And it's not, again, it's that grasping after the wind. It, you can't catch anything worthwhile there. Can you really know anything? You know it by the creator of the wind. You know it by the one, even Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, you know by the one who created. What's his name and what is his son's name? God the Father, God the Son. That's who it is. And then our text ends in another proverb. So, Verse 18, for in much wisdom is much grief. He who increases knowledge increases sorrow. As I said earlier in chapter 12 and verse 12, he said, making many books there is no end and much study is a weariness to the flesh. And it sure is. Much education without God, much knowledge, much wisdom without God is selfishness and covetousness. And it becomes idolatry in our lives. Remember, here, if I had to put a name on this proverb, a New Testament name, I would say, much learning will make you mad. <laughs> you remember where that comes from? Acts 26, where Paul is, is uh, speaking to Festus, the king, down when he's uh, a prisoner in, in Caesarea. And, and Festus says, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. I think that's kind of what, what uh, Solomon is, is saying here. But 
Paul answers and says, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. I'm not mad, you're mad. That's the difference. And it's not, the wor- it's not us who are mad, believer in Jesus Christ. It's the world that's mad. And the only way you can make sense out of it is to know Christ as your Savior. So consider, you know, consider our advanced age with our, all of our increased learning and all of our knowledge and our instant access to anything we, we want to know. Uh, we abort 50 million babies. We don't know the difference between a male and a female. We don't know what law and law-keeping and lawlessness is. This is where our advanced learning has gotten us these days, without God. Well, here is, here is Solomon's search for wisdom, and we're, we're really not done with it. I read the first three chapters of chapter, uh, verses, I mean, of chapter 2, and all of chapter 3, or, or the rest of uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3, goes through these same things. We'll come back to it. I want to leave you with something I read as a last thing, because I thought this was nice. It's from Warren Wiersbe in, in his comments on uh, Ecclesiastes when he gets to the end of chapter 2. Let me, let me read you what he wrote. I'll use this just as a conclusion. He said, while sitting in my backyard one evening, I heard a robin singing merrily from the top of a TV antenna. I listened to him sing, and I preached myself a sermon, he says. Since early dawn, that bird has done nothing but try to survive. He's been wearing himself out, hiding from his enemies, looking for food for himself and for his little ones, and yet, when he gets to the end of the day, he sings about it. And he said, here I am, in the image of God, saved by the grace of God, and I complain about even the little annoyances of life. He says, one day I will be like the Lord Jesus Christ, and for that reason alone, I should be singing God's praises just like that robin. Sometimes in looking at God's world, we need to take lessons from that and realize that he feeds the little bird, right? And we are more precious to him than even the little birds. So don't be discouraged, believer. Uh, We are the light of this world. We are the salt of this earth. We are the ones that bring hope and joy and gladness to people through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord, he's done that for us. All right, stand with me, if you will, as we think about those things and sing a song and uh, rejoice for what we know in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this uh, passage that we've read. Thank you for Solomon. Thank you, Father, for restoring his life even when he lost his way. And thank you for restoring our lives every time we lose our way. Help us, Father, to realize who we are in this world. We are your creatures. We are made in your image. We are your children. And so, Father, we are speakers of truth to this world. Help us to do that with joy and sing like your creatures sing to you in praise to you. So bless us tonight as we think about these things and as we sing to you in Jesus' name. Amen.